Incoming transmission. The Klingon word of the day is cha. This is the Computer Resume podcast about Star Trek. If you like nerdy things, you're in the right place. And this is the show! Greetings and welcome to the Computer Resume Podcast, the show covering the entire Star Trek franchise in chronological order for fans new and old. I'm your host, Mr. Todd A. Davis. After I met Gary Horn, uh, who was last week's guest, he introduced me to our guest today, a guy with a seemingly limitless knowledge of beer and movies and one hell of a beard. He is one half of the Cinema Shock Podcast and one of my groomsmen... It's Mr. Justin Bishop. Yay! What's going on, man? How you doing? Good. How are you? <laughs> Good. Well, I'm glad, to, I'm glad to be here in your virtual home. Yeah, yeah. Where there are, with, with your virtual doorbells and everything's virtual these days. So. Everything is virtual. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> We've known each other for, I was figuring it up, almost it's been 20, 87 years. 87. <laughs> Both of us are very, very old. <laughs> I think I met you 2002, I want to say. Does that sound about right? I, Early I, had, 2000s. I had just, yeah, I had just graduated high school 2002. And I think I met you and Gary that summer. That's um, probably about right. Or, or 2002, 2003, something like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Me, and Ga- me and Gary were working a uh, horrible job <laughs> together. <laughs> I remember the horror stories. <laughs> it was terrible. Terrible um, job. So be nice to customer service people. That's all. Yes, please. Anybody who's anybody who says the phrase, how can I help you? Just I should just be nice to most people. Yeah, be nice. Yeah, be nice to everybody, but especially I win most people. There are people here and there who don't deserve it. But there are a few individuals, yeah. But for the most part, just be nice to people. And even then you can just say, "Uh uh-huh. Okay, that's how you are. Just and civilly (laughs) move along. Move along. (laughs) So what's your background with star trek in general are you one of these guys i mean because we're roughly about the same age like uh like gary you know we're all roughly in our you know mid to late 30s or late 30s so i imagine you might be a tng kid i've never watched star trek before in my lifetime (laughs) and that's all the time we have on the computer resume (laughs) podcast Oh, no, I I was primarily a next generation guy. My dad like watched, my dad was of the right age probably to really get into the original series when it was yeah. out, but I don't know that he ever really did because my dad grew up in a very strict evangelical house and I don't know how much TV they were watching that didn't involve gospel music. Right, uh, <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. I don't know if he got me into it or what. I just remember like I was probably in fifth or sixth grade when I really got into Star Trek and it was next generation. And it was while it was obviously still on the air right. in syndication. So it was on like every night. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cause the, the Star Trek shows are weird. Like in the way that they're distributed, especially starting with next generation, just like being made for syndication essentially. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cause I know even reading about enterprise, I know that it, episodes were coming out very, very quickly. Oh yeah. And I think with, cause I started with TNG as well. Was it, were you watching it on CBS or were you watching it on Fox? Cause I think I was watching it on Fox. I don't remember. I lived in Tennessee at the time oh, when I got okay, into okay, it. Okay. So there were different stations and, and the way, mm-hmm. you know, with it being in syndication, it could have been on any number of stations. I want to say it was Fox though. 
Yeah, I got really into it, like to the point where, and it, it, this was like during the height of Next Generation's popularity, and I had all the toys. I had the like, I had the bridge like playset. Nice. Uh, I had ton- I had tons of the toys. That I was very into set. it. That bridge playset's pretty cool. It was cool. I kind of wish I still had that it. Looks like the Enterprise, and it like unfolds and stuff. No, this was just more of like a diary. It oh, was like a okay. full. Because you could like actually fit the characters, like the full size action figures and stuff in it. Nice. Uh, it was really cool. And one year, I was in sixth grade, and I dressed up in a Starfleet uniform for Halloween. Oh, get uh, out of town. It was the, Please the red tell me there's one. a picture somewhere. I don't know. Maybe. Oh. But I don't, I, I've never seen one. If I'm going to hit up Tammy. One somewhere. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get uh, in touch with She Tammy made the costume. Time. She did? Really? Oh, man. Yeah, it was great. like one of those, it was one of those, you know, kits that you bought at like the, the fabric store yeah. where it was like a pattern and, and it was, um it was the red and black Jean-Luc Picard one piece like season one because it was a one piece the onesie nice (laughs) (laughs) i specifically remember it being a one piece because it was very uncomfortable i thought i was cool i clearly was not (laughs) did you shave your head for like picard no no i had short hair but i did not i did not go that far into it i had not grown the beard quite yet that didn't come till seventh grade oh okay (laughs) i was gonna say i think facial hair wise i'm probably wasn't far behind you (laughs) I went to a Star Trek convention, the one and only Star Trek convention I'd ever been to that year too. Oh wow! Because I was in Na- I lived in Nashville, so it was a big city, so I got a lot of those conventions. Yeah, yeah. So that was cool. I didn't meet anyone because I didn't have a job. I was eleven, <laughs> right? Um, and I couldn't pay for autographs, and I don't think my parents cared enough to purchase an autograph from anyone for me. But, so, oh, but I was there. I was in the room. Yeah. Why not? Right. I don't know that Greenville has. Greenville have like a regular I mean we've got the comic book stuff we have comic book conventions which I think those of us all kind of get those turn into like overall pop culture yeah pop culture conventions they've, had, they've, had, they've had some decent but, guests, like wrestlers I mean, and movie stars yeah and stuff like that and, and Next Generation wasn't like my introduction to Star Trek I'd seen the movies I remember being severely traumatized by a Wrath of Khan when I was really? a kid oh the ear things oh yeah, yeah. it'll mess you up <laughs> The ear things, I, I always remember, like, I one of the formative, like, movie experiences of my life was being terrified by those things. I think it's when I discovered I liked horror movies. And I also distinctly remember the one, I want to say part five, it could be part six, where the Klingons are attacked. It's like anti-gravity and there's, like, globules of Pepto-Bismol looking blood floating around the cabin. Yeah. Oh, uh, it's five man. or six. I can't remember. I get them mixed up. Um, I know one's good and one's bad, but I don't right, know which right. one that specific scene is from. Uh, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, um, so I so I had watched Star Trek, but, like, TNG was, like, what got me, like, really super into it. Nice. Man, that's awesome. I Yeah, I don't think that we'd ever really discussed in depth our uh, affinity for Star Trek. I mean, I'm I rarely keep my mouth shut about anything, but I don't think I'd ever, ever actually heard the Halloween costume or the uh, yeah. Well, it's probably because I haven't the really Wrath kept of up. story. Yeah, I haven't kept up with that fandom as well as some other ones, though. You know, it's, it's uh, as I get huge. older, I yeah. I mean, I watched so big, I watched yeah. a, a lot of, but not all of Deep Space Nine. Mm. Same with Voyager. Like I, I watched a lot of it, but kind of fell off. And I think it's because I was like getting into high school and just had other interests by that sure. time and just now, kind of stopped watching it. Because we're also, I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. Both of us are also big Star Wars fans. Yes. Would you would you consider yourself a bigger Star Wars fan than a Star Trek fan? Yes. Ah. Only and because I've kept up with it more, you know, and... It seems a little bit easier to manage just because there's not 
it's not as well i don't want to say it's not as expansive because there's a lot of stuff out there for sure but like in terms of what is canon i think star trek's canon has been more consistent over the years and like not there haven't been like a lot of retcons well there, yeah I wouldn't say there have been a lot of retcons but i think the star wars has had quite a few retcons if I'm well and i say i'm like a, i'm a, into star wars I, i've never been into like the extended universe stuff i mean i enjoy mm -hmm. that stuff i read i read some of the marvel comics that are out now but like back in the day i never read the novels and things like that and i don't know i think it's maybe because it's pre-streaming like you had to watch Star Trek. Yep. You had to catch it. The the night it came on. Yep. And if it wasn't like it wasn't like TV is now where it was more episodic where not every episode necessarily had to be seen, but still like in order to, to catch it all, you really had to be watching it all the time. Whereas with Star Wars, up until recently, it was all on the big screen. Right. So I could watch it in the movie theater. I mean, I was not old enough to watch the originals in the movie theater, but I saw those around the same time I was getting into Star Trek is when um is when Lucas reissued Star Wars into theaters. Right. Uh, so I actually saw those in in the theater, and you know I've seen every Star Wars movie in the theater. That's awesome. And that's a lot easier to keep up with. Honestly, it it's is. just a lot, it's a lot less to keep up with. So yeah. it's easier to, to be a consistent fan. Exactly. Well, that's one of the goals of this show is to sort of give folks a guide as we progress through the entire franchise, good and bad, uh, slow and fast. Here it is. This is everything. And to get there, we have to start here. I, I feel like I'm really about to break into the lyrics of the song. I'm really going to try not to, um, but let's the same uh, song. Yeah. Oh God. It's <laughs> really trying not God. to. <laughs> I know you and Gary talked about it last week, but it yeah, is, we did. It yeah. is one of, I mean, I haven't obviously not gotten very far into this series and there's a lot of Star Trek that I haven't seen, but I'm confident in saying it's one of the worst creative decisions that Star Trek has ever made. Yeah. I, I, is, think, I think it immediately, from... it immediately dates the show and it immediately establishes that it is a CW show from the early two thousands. Yeah. Like yeah, it is it very, really like it's that. horrible. Yeah, it's it's I'm it's mad a, thinking about it. <laughs> well, let's uh let's divert from our overall thoughts and really get into the nitty-gritty. Let's go ahead with our recap. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Two weeks into their voyage. We have a potentially hostile vessel approaching. Would you stick a tail between your legs and run? Maybe we should go have a look. Embark on the adventure. Maybe they're not interested in visitors. Stand by starboard tube. That inspired humanity. I need you to do this. We all do. That's why you're here. To boldly go. Now, Mr. Reed. So Archer's trying to find his contact lens on the floor and like the crew trying to find a decent planet. They're both coming up empty. T'Pol's like, whatever. Reed and Mayweather are playing asteroids. And in sickbay, Hoshi takes care of Doc's Flox's slug, which sounds a lot dirtier than it really is. Then T'Pol finds a drifting ship. It's Raph. Yeah, a little too Raph. Archer's like, let's poke around a bit. But T'Pol's like, we should probably bounce. After discovering multiple hole breaches, Archer's like, let's get in them holes. So they get in there, find the whole crew dead, and make a beeline back to the ship like the Scooby gang running from Old Man Hadley. Back on the ship, Hoshi's like, wow, me and the slug have a lot in common. And Doc Fox is like, yeah, you should probably go back to Earth. Archer makes dinner awkward for everyone, so they turn around and go back to the ship full of dead aliens. Doc Fox discovers that human lymphatic fluid makes his slug go hard, while Trip turns the radio on and Hoshi starts reading the aliens 
Warren's diaries. To Paul Warren's archer, uh, we got company. So the crew jumps back on the mystery machine. The new alien vessel, which kind of looks like a frat boy's first tattoo, starts shooting, but Enterprise can't fire back and Reed's all like, sorry guys. Then the dead aliens homies show up and Hoshi's like, uh, we good, they bad. Homies shoot tribal ink ship and Enterprise is saved. The episode ends with Hoshi and Doc Flocks putting Sluggo on a deserted planet with no food or mate, which is pretty messed up, but you know, Star Trek. Excellent recap, Todd. <laughs> Thanks. Um, <laughs> I, um, would you, uh, any, I any like Sluggo. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's fun. Uh, yeah, I got a good look. I wish he was a recurring character on the show. <laughs> honestly. I, yeah. So uh, any, any, uh, any initial thoughts about the episode? I mean, it's, you know, we're right uh, at the beginning. Okay, so, so yeah. So I had never watched any enterprise. Okay. Before this is the one series in all of Star Trek that I've never seen a single episode of. Did you watch in Broken Bow? The yeah. Pilot? So, but, okay. so prior to this, I watched Broken Bow, which I thought was pretty decent. It, it did not look or feel like Star Trek, like in a visual sense to me, yeah. which I then later read that that was actually intentional. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and on the from the thoughts of the filmmakers, they wanted it to be more like an you're there in the moment kind of thing, which is not the typical Star Trek style right. of shooting things, which is fine. You know, so you got to update things to make them look more modern. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm, I'm, I had no issues with that. There are some things here and there that I thought were kind of silly, like uh, the uh, the scene in the pilot where to Paul and Trip, what is his name? Tucker. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the, Trip Tucker. Yeah, Trip Tucker. Where they're just slathering each other down with oil. Uh, it's yeah, very gratuitous. Gary and I got into that a little bit. Just yeah, I wasn't mad about it because what's her name? Joanne uh, Jolene Blalock. Yeah, uh, not ugly. Uh, so That's I was, <laughs> but it was at the same time you're like, you guys are really trying to get some ratings here. By yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. um, overall, it was fine. Although I, I'd later, you know, I was doing some research and read that their original plan for the first season, and maybe you guys talked about this last week. I don't know, but the original plan for the first season was for basically the arc of that pilot to stretch the entire season, wow. uh, which is crazy. Like they they had planned on being earthbound for much of the first season and then they decided that was too different from most star trek that they needed to be out in space that's why it was probably originally called just enterprise because there was no star trekking yeah there was because no they trekking. were on, <laughs> because they were on earth which i thought Actually, was interesting but i i think that might have been cool i think it would have yeah. been really cool and i think it would have really distinguished the show as something different yeah and everything into the working before. inner workings of like the relationships between the humans and the Vulcans. yeah but instead you get stuck with episodes that are going to be just filler and Freak you know and not that this episode necessarily does i thought this episode was actually decent uh, mostly because I think Hoshi might be my favorite character so far on the show. Really? Uh, having only watched the pilot and then the following too. I just, she's very sympathetic. She's in over her head. And I don't know. I like, I like her as a character. It, That's cool. She's, she's one of the few likable ones. I think Archer's likable. I think Tucker is, we'll get into this when we talk about uh, the, the next episode that we're going to talk about, but I think he is the worst. Yeah. Uh, and I think, and I think the doctor, Doc Flocks, who I assume is supposed to be, like a, a comic relief is sort of just yeah kind of yeah annoying to me um, yeah <laughs> is that yeah that annoyingly optimistic view of everything in outer space so yeah yeah but also it, it feels kind of weird or this early on and maybe this is because now i watch these prestige shows where it's an overarching story and you know right but whereas these are more self-contained it's weird for there to be a self-contained episode this early on that is 
focusing on a single character, essentially. This episode is essentially about Hoshi and her growth as a as a person, which is cool yeah. and, a, and a great idea. It's a little weird that it happens in literally the second episode of the series. Yeah. yeah <laughs> like that's something you probably want to let your audience learn who all these characters are before you hyper-focus on like one character. Right. Yeah, it's a little early to be deep diving into one single character. But yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think, honestly, this is kind of Starfleet is one ship. That's all they've got. So it's, you know, for her to be there as the linguist, essentially building the universal translator, she's in an awkward position of like, Jonathan Archer picked me specifically for this mission. Other than translating, I'm not an astronaut. Like I'm not about dead bodies hanging from the ceiling. Yeah. So I mean, um, it would be honestly. Y- yeah, exactly. So yeah, speak- like she, she feels all bad about screaming. I was like, I would scream like a 12 year old if I walked yeah. into that room as well. Even if they were, <laughs> even if all of those aliens were having like a super colorful, happy birthday party, you might, you might still scream. Be startled. Like, oh my God. So speaking of the dead bodies hanging from the ceiling, do some of the horror elements of this episode bring to mind any specific horror movie not particularly not on this one i think the next episode delves a little bit more into some horror stuff to me this one i think it was fairly brief the way that they're shooting it is kind of cool where you're you're, you know you're walking into a dark abandoned spaceship which has been done before because there have been horror sci-fi mashups where you find a dead ship i'm thinking event horizon Oh, you know, not that the plot of this has anything to do with Event Horizon at all, but the idea of walking into a a dead hull of a spaceship to find something spooky. And, you know, and there are other ones that they're, I mean, hell, Alien, it's not Mm -hmm. a ship, but when they go down to the planet in the first Alien, they find a crashed spaceship where everyone's dead. You know, they don't see the dead bodies, but the same kind of feel, you know. Yeah. And along the say, well, you know, I'll just say briefly in terms of dead bodies, you know, hanging by their feet, it always makes me think of Predator, which, yeah. which, you know, in just on that surface level of finding these bodies and you're like, oh my God, what happened to these? Yeah. Bodies? They were more skinned and yeah, they were skinned. I, <laughs> I think Predator was <laughs> more horrific than this with yeah, good definitely. reason. That's rated R and this was on UPN. So in terms of uh, Hoshi and her, you know, being there specifically to translate, you've had a lot of, we mentioned it briefly at the beginning of the episode, customer service jobs, uh, service industry type stuff. Have you ever had any instances where you've had to deal with folks who you did not speak the language? No, oh, yeah. I mean, you overcome yeah. that. Well, you do your best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I've, I've definitely dealt with tables where, you know, where, when I was a server in, in restaurants mm-hmm. where I had to deal with customers who didn't speak my language, but typically, so one, one good example, I used to work in a fine dining restaurant. We have a, a Michelin plant here in Greenville where I live and Michelin is a French company. I worked in a pretty prestigious fine dining restaurant where when the French executives would come over, we are where they got wined and dined. Ah. Uh, so a lot of French people would come through and I don't speak any French. <laughs> I know menage a trois. Um, <laughs> yeah. I could probably, I could probably, I know mierda. I know how to curse. I know how to curse in many languages. Sure. Uh, but, but there would, there would always be uh, Americans with them or English speakers with them, or many of them honestly spoke English as a second language. Not all of them. Uh, I used to work in another restaurant, a Chinese restaurant, a 
that you that you will have heard of if I mentioned it. <laughs> but yes, <laughs> uh, and we had uh, remarkably not. I mean, we had a lot of Asian people that ate there, but especially Indian people. And there's a there's a pretty big uh, Indian population here in Greenville. Yeah. So I would deal with it then too. But I tell you, where you deal the most with people who don't speak your language, if you're if English is your first language when working in a restaurant, is your kitchen help because. Uh-huh. You've got Mexicans and Colombians and Ecuadorians, and they're usually the biggest badasses in the kitchen. <laughs> and the majority of them, and no, there's not a restaurant on this in this country that could survive without without the work of oh, yeah. Latinos, right? Without a doubt. <laughs> and most of them speak little to no English that I've worked with. I mean, some mm-hmm. of them do, but you know, very little enough to communicate. But you have to start learning Spanish. Oh yeah. <laughs> At least yeah. enough to communicate what you need. Yeah. Uh, every, every good chef in, in, in any decent restaurant speaks at least a little bit of Spanish. Yeah. 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 You're probably right about that. Way back when I used to, um, I used to work the front desk at our local YMCA and like Michelin, we also got the folks from Mitsubishi and uh, BMW. I remember one time I gave a tour and in my tour group was English, German, French and Japanese. Wow. And I had to not because like the first stop is aquatics because everybody wants to see the pool. Well, the way you get the way the tour route would go was you now had to go through the locker rooms. And so it was like, okay, because you had to make sure, okay, women going through the women's side and dudes going (laughs) to the dude's side. All right, I'll see you on the other side and, you know, getting over there and making sure, you know, doing the head count and everything. Plus, you know, we had to give little safety briefings. So there again, you're kind of like, okay, make sure you don't put your hands between the weight plates, like, or (laughs) bye, bye, bye fingers. Like, but yeah, you essentially it's, you do the best you can. I mean, in in America nowadays, you almost have to have at least some basic understanding of uh, another language, especially Spanish, I think. I heard someone tell a joke. What do you call someone who speaks more than one language? Bilingual. What do you call someone who speaks one language? American. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, and it's sad, yeah. but true. I mean, you know, I think you and I both probably can, you know, muddle our way through a little bit of Spanish. Uh, well, that's why so many schools now are, I started learning Spanish in ninth grade. You know, I was mm-hmm. 14 years old or whatever. I took it for several years and I remember a little bit of it, although most of what I know now is quote unquote, kitchen Spanish. Right. Uh, right. Well, similar. To- much of which is just insulting people uh, <laughs> talking about their moms or their butts but, uh, <laughs> or well, their mom's butts or their mom's uh, butts. Yeah. <laughs> now they start teaching kids Spanish, you know, in early elementary school, mm-hmm. like at least basic stuff. They're learning stuff in like kindergarten, first, second grade, which is yeah. awesome. I think. Yeah. I think yeah. It's no, great. It's- I wish, I wish that I had had that. I have a little bit of a martial arts background and part of what our style in our school and our association would do was, to require us to learn the Korean terms, you know, for the techniques, body parts, numbers, directions. But we had a gentleman in our school who actually his wife was Korean. So the grandmaster of our association, Grandmaster Shin, who has since passed away, he really loved our school because he taught the rest of the school a couple of phrases that weren't in the uh, association's curriculum. And we were actually able to say, hello, how are you? And things like that. So he always loved interacting with folks from our school. 
the yeah. idea of what Hoshi does in this episode, they're like piecing together what yeah language is. I don't know. I mean, maybe quite that's, literally under the gun, like <laughs> yeah, like and maybe that's possible. like hurry. <laughs> I don't know if maybe someone who studies languages could really do that. I don't really know enough about linguistics to. I, I suppose so because I've you know because people are finding they'll find ancient languages and they'll eventually be able to translate them so there's some way there's some methodology to it or something like tolkien just making up new languages or the klingon language is a completely made up language now oh yeah well i got you know, the, so, uh, the klingon dictionary here so yeah so somebody know. pieced that together in the <laughs> yeah. way that an actual language is so there, there's something about language where there are components that are similar mm. throughout different dialects Ver- but, noun verb structures yeah and, but know, personally i i can't yeah. necessarily wrap my head around how someone would do that yeah <laughs> well and i mean a good host would have looked this up before mentioning it on the show but uh doesn't didn't nasa send out something where like one of the languages they used was math like because math is math i would think on that golden um the gold disc the gold record that mm. they sent out mm-hmm. you know about the gold record uh vaguely i mean you know so fire, fire off whatever you got man so the uh the voyager record it's it was sent out i think voyager was i think that's the name of the record i don't know but this is it's like a golden record that's etched it's got etchings and stuff on it mm-hmm. but i believe a lot of that and when i say record i mean an actual phonograph like a oh, record. okay <laughs> like an actual record wow uh made of gold or at least gold plated and it was supposed to be like sounds of earth and images and a lot of it's very sim they're like almost hieroglyphs because it's, it's supposed to be very like symbolic like very easy to kind of figure out what it means mm-hmm. so I, I wonder if it's on that because i would imagine that because math is the universal language right? yeah math. yeah so yeah so a little here's some information on the gold record so from carl sagan who knows a little bit about this says the spacecraft will be encountered and the record played only if there are advanced spacefaring civilizations in interstellar space. But the launching of this bottle into the cosmic ocean says something hopeful about life on this planet. That's a quote from Carl Sagan about it. It's got a lot of stuff on it. I'm not going to go. It's got a greeting from a child's voice. Oh, wow. Uh, a greeting, I'll have hello, to, uh, hello I'll have from to the children of Earth. It's all in, that's in English, but there's a lot of classical music on it. Yeah. Uh, there's I'll DNA to, uh, and human anatomy and all kinds of stuff. I'll have to find some stuff about that, throw it up on the uh, on the social media for folks to dive into because it's, I, I mean, it's fascinating. And just, yeah, you know, everybody, I think a lot of folks get wrapped up with phasers and the ship, you know, blowing up stuff. But honestly, that universal translator's really a magnificent piece of technology and the the ability yeah. to con, uh, to converse with other species i mean that's imagine being able to talk to your dog you've got dogs i've got a dog imagine being I, able to you know him didn't you guys get one of those things for max that like uh, <laughs> he like presses a button to talk yeah we got him uh we got him the starter set of yeah the like hexagon thing yeah yeah uh my wife cat got Which him. that but you got to think about that sort of the same concept though like piecing together bits of language mm-hmm. you know yeah did it work unfortunately neither one of us have 
the time or the patience to, <laughs> yeah. to, train, to train Max on it these seems buttons. Very, it, it's really fascinating when you see it work. Yeah. My wife is all about the videos of the dog that has been the poster child for yeah, these yeah. buttons. And I tried to record the, the sound quality is not super great coming out of the little speaker attached to the button. You know, I tried to record, you know, everybody talks like their dog in a specific, you know, weird dog voice. And we all I, do. Yes. Yeah. I've, <laughs> I've joked about it on stage in my stand-up act. Uh, I tried to record the words in Max's voice so it sounds even better. <laughs> so yeah, unfortunately, we have not gotten there yet. However, Max has a Spock uh, jersey that uh, we occasionally throw on him and it's absolutely adorable. So here's some... Uh, tidbits about this week's episode fight or flight was written by rick berman and brandon braga who also wrote last week the pilot they actually end up doing most of the uh the lion's share of the writing for this series especially especially these first few episodes and the episode was directed by alan croker den of geek recommends this episode and vox sala as watches for the hoshi character so justin if you want to skip ahead to vox sala or if you want to call dibs on the vox sala episode i can go ahead and put you down for that television critic bobby bryant cited the crew's response to discovery of a slaughtered alien crew uh initially like running away scared as one of the most honest reactions in trek history and named fight or flight uh, among the four best episodes of the season uh, how do you how do you feel about that with the uh, well the reaction I, of like yeah, i mean that's what i said it. like yeah. i said i would scream <laughs> yeah because that's like that's how most human beings would respond because you got to think Everyone else plays it a little too cool. I mean, I know they obviously have other aliens that they deal with because they're they. This is not their first uh, exposure to alien life because they've got a guy on the crew that's an alien, right? Or right. two. I mean, because they have a vault. They obviously have a relationship with Vulcans, but they have never seen Klingons until the first episode. So, right. it's not like they're super uh, experienced in this. And I'm sorry if I walked into a dead ship, even if they weren't aliens, if they was just hanging dead bodies, they were hanging dead animals if it were if they were like i walked in there and, and i just walked into a spaceship that's dark and there are pig carcasses hanging like it's a butcher shop i'd probably initially jump out of my skin yeah <laughs> so you guys are good here i'm gonna head back to the ship all right once i figured out what it was i'd be like okay when's the barbecue but right right <laughs> at first it'd be you know oh i do want to, while you're on these stats i want to mention something that i noticed in this i don't know if you guys brought this up in the last episode mm. but the the consulting producer on this yeah and i he's the consulting producer on the entire first season only only the first season is a guy named fred decker mm. uh, do mm -hmm. you are you familiar with fred decker the name rings a bell so fred decker is a filmmaker he is a director and writer he he's worked a lot with shane black he wrote and directed night of the creeps he wrote uh, yeah. and directed, or he co-wrote with Shane Black and directed The Monster Squad. Mm. Uh, he also did, uh, unfortunately, directed and co-wrote RoboCop 3. Oh, I got a little <laughs> soft spot in my heart for, Ro <laughs> for the later RoboCop uh, movies. Oh, bad. yeah. It's, I but, can still be objective and say it's not great. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> but he, he's, he's also been like a script doctor over the years. Like He did the story for House and House 2. Mm. He directed a bunch of tales from the crib. He was like a, a 
uncredited ghostwriter or or script doctor on Demolition Man. And he wrote most recently The Predator that Shane Black directed. He could yeah. with Shane Black. So him and Shane Black go way back. Shane Black, of course, for those who don't know, first of all, you should listen to the Cinema Shock podcast hey. start, uh, with me and Todd. <laughs> but we did a whole series on Shane Black. But Shane Black uh, wrote Lethal Weapon, among many other things. But Yeah. Little known movie, Lethal Weapon. Yeah. Iron Man 3. He wrote Iron Man and directed yeah. Iron Man. I don't know if you, I don't know if the <laughs> listeners have heard of the uh, Marvel movies or the Iron Man movies. But, yeah. but anyway, Fred Decker is, yeah, he wrote like four episodes all in the first season mm-hmm. of this. And I didn't look up which episodes. I'm curious about which ones they might be. He's a consulting producer on this. And I had no idea he was ever connected to Star Trek in any way. And I, I, I was curious if he had previous connections to Star Trek. But as far as I know, he did not. He was just brought on to work on Enterprise. Yeah, I think when the creative team got the green light for this, it was just sight unseen. Like, hey, we need a new Star Trek and go. And yeah. so, you know, they're like, well, hey, we want to bring on this guy. So it might have been an instance of that. Or maybe, you know, they may have been fans of his previous work. That's Or he might have had behind the scenes, like, yeah, connections that, to some of the other people involved. You know, maybe him and maybe him and uh, what's his face? Uh, Rick Berman would to college together who knows maybe yeah (laughs) i I think that bears uh some research so i'll go ahead i'll make a note about that see if i can't follow up for for folks who want to know i also looked up alan croker the director and that dude has directed a lot of star trek yeah he's (laughs) like 30 like 38 (laughs) episodes Mm -hmm. uh between this deep space nine and voyager yep yeah and he also directed i think the series finales to all of those Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, he yeah. also has done a few episodes of Battlestar Galactica. Uh, Ronald D. Moore, who is another Star Trek guy. Oh yeah, yeah. But Battlestar Galactica happens to be my favorite TV show of all time. So. It, yeah, and you know, I'll let the cat out of the bag a little bit here. We're going to talk about Battlestar Galactica. We're actually dedicating at least one episode, probably just one episode, because we need to keep moving through Star Trek. But we are going to have one episode where we discuss Battlestar Galactica. And it's I'm, the best. I'm I love it so much. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good <laughs> show. It, look, a, you know. I think for a long time, there was this thought of like, uh, you're either a Star Trek fan or a Star Wars fan, or you're a Star Trek fan or a Battlestar Galactica fan, or you're, you're a this or you're a that. And I, I've always been of the mind of like, why choose? Like, why? Yeah, why choose? But also like, I feel like Star that. Trek and Battlestar Galactica are pretty well like connected as because of ronald d moore because he was oh, sure a, yeah, a yeah star yeah. trek guy for such a long time that he he took a lot of what he learned on star trek and translated it to battlestar galactica and then threw a bunch of weird uh mormon stuff in it but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I love it i love and i love ronald d moore i think he's awesome uh, yeah, but i, I, I especially love battlestar galactica production writing uh cast you know bsg is really solid especially the it really is. i i have yet to explore the original bsg um yeah i mean it's fun but it's a it's a different thing you know yeah it's a compl- 70s yeah, yeah yeah it's a little yeah. hokey so i missed the credits from last week so let me just go ahead and insert this here about broken bow also written- <laughs> there it is folks <laughs> we got one what um, is this uh, what is this podcast rated are we pg <laughs> pg 13 i have not marked anything explicit but me being a comedian and a comic fan i told myself i wasn't going to that i wasn't going to censor anybody i didn't tell you of like hey we're not gonna say curse words or anything like that but i do want i do want this show to be able to be heard uh without any flack from parents or whatever yeah us, yeah that's of kinda, us that was kind of that, that was but, kind of my thought because um, kids like Star Trek. 
right and right. as a comedian as a comic fan i i've set myself to do the red alert siren uh oh, yeah, yeah. for any of this <laughs> for any of carlin's seven dirty words so okay you can say whatever you want but if it falls into it the seven dirty beat. words yeah it's it's gonna it's gonna get red alert okay um, that's fun okay yeah so um, can i try it yeah absolutely go ahead start with something that wouldn't be so you know so i say butthole i'm uh, allowed to say actually, butthole you are allowed to say butthole um but i'm not allowed to say um here, here so uh for folks who couldn't tell what he just said uh, i'll give I'll, I'll put the example out there is like you can't say mother gotcha you can say the mother part but you can't say the other part so if you've got another example go ahead i got nothing <laughs> now i just want <laughs> okay. now i just want to say butthole because you just wanted to say butthole <laughs> and that's fine that's fine butthole listen listen butthole solid it's it's that's funny it's funny yeah it's a funny, funny. word <laughs> So, uh, so you mentioned that this hasn't, that this is your first viewing of enterprise. This Correct. was one of the ones that you hadn't, that you hadn't had. Does I just it always you... knew it as the star Trek show with the quantum leap guy. That's all yep. I knew about it. I didn't <laughs> know old... who any of the cast members were good old no Sam. characters. Yeah. <laughs> does this make you, does this shine a light on anything of your previous knowledge of star Trek? Does, does this make things that happen later in the timeline? Does it, you know, make you appreciate it a little bit more or anything? Not yet. No, I can see that as a potential for the show. Maybe, you know, if they really explore that, I mean, seeing the Starfleet guys see a Klingon for the first time in that first episode's, neat i guess uh, although they took it in a very nonchalant kind of way right, you know right. for what is essentially probably the biggest villain or you know one of the biggest adversaries yeah you know, for a good long while yeah Star for Trek sure Earth. but no i mean i nothing in this episode really stood out as like foreshadowing things that i know to come other than i know that there's a universal translator right right will be developed <laughs> and i know that they're hopefully going to get better at their job because they're not very good at it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like they, the crew of the enterprise, much like the uh, creative team that made this show, were just kind of tossed out to figure things out on their own. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Without like, much prior prepar- preparation. Well, you, you guys have done stuff on Voyager and Deep Space Nine. So just, you know, whatever, whatever you, you know, think, whatever you think. Wing it. Just yeah. wing it. <laughs> Well, folks, that's uh, that's going to just about do it for us today. Justin, thank you so much for coming on the show. And yeah. uh, to everybody else, tune in next week. Uh, next week, we are going to be covering uh, Enterprise Season 1, Episode 3, Strange New World, with our special guest, Mr. Justin Bishop. He will be our first time repeat guest. Never uh, heard of him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, some guy. Whatever. Anyways, thanks for coming on. You going to continue to watch? Well, I have to. I'm about coming next week. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, after that, are you going to continue the series? Uh, we'll see. We'll see. We, okay. uh, we'll see uh, how it stacks up. I don't. Fair will enough. I watch every episode? I don't know about that. <laughs> that's, um, that's fair. I pre- I appreciate the honesty. <laughs> uh, before before we go, um, give folks a little rundown of uh, Cinema Shock and tell them uh, tell them what's what that's all about and where they can find it. Well, Cinema Shock's a podcast where we talk about movies. Uh, Todd is my co-host, along with Gary, the guy who was on here last week. It is a podcast where we explore the histories of cult and genre films. So we pick a theme. We'll have 
anywhere from a couple of episodes to I think our longest series so far has been 10 episodes. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll just kind of deep dive into each episode focuses on one movie based on that theme. And sometimes it's a theme like we just recently wrapped up one about uh, films that inspired Quentin Tarantino's Kill Bill. So the movies themselves are not really connected other than by that theme. But then we also have done series like on Shane Black or like on George Romero, where we delve like really deep into a filmmaker's filmography. And we tell the story kind of of that influence or that theme or that person's career, but with each episode focused on a particular moment being whatever movie is that week's subject. Nice. And yeah, so coming up, folks, uh, find we're, we're doing Toby Hooper next, oh, which is going to yeah, be yeah, super yeah. fun. I'm looking forward to that. And where can uh, where can everybody find you on the interwebs? I am at Justin underscore Bishop. I'm on Twitter. I don't use it much, but I am on Twitter. I retweet every now and then. And I am on Instagram, which I use a decent amount. And I'm on Letterboxd, which I use a decent amount to log all of the movies that I watch. And Cinema Shock is at Cinema underscore Shock or at uh, CinemaShock.net or on your favorite podcatcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google, name one. It's on there. <laughs> pandora we're on pandora are you really oh that's pandora, cool yeah pandora does podcast now we're on there nice i assume they told me that we were on there i have not actually checked sweet i got uh, an email saying we were on there oh that's cool <laughs> and uh and i am at mr todd a davis on all the socials from all of us at the computer resume podcast thanks so much for listening and i'll see you in 10 forward feel free to send us your subspace transmissions to computerresumepodcast at gmail.com or at Computer Resume on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The Computer Resume podcast was created and produced by Mr. Todd A. Davis. Our logo was done by Will Martin at heyitswill.seo on Instagram. And I'm Kat Davis at that.darn.cat with a K on Instagram. The Computer Resume podcast is part of the Slice of Fried Gold Network. Hashtag LLAP. We'll see you next time. Going through a Star Trek. We're doing Star Trek stuff in space. We probably got some phasers and shuttle pods, and we're gonna find a brand new race. How's that for a slice of fried gold?